Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with your weekly WWE edition of your favorite wrestling podcast. But this week, we're adding a little bit of spice to the mix, because not only are we going to break down everything from the WWE Raw immediately following Payback, one of the best pay-per-views of the entire year, we're also going to be talking NXT Super Tuesday because NXT did get pushed up a day on USA Network due to the NHL playoffs. So we had a huge fatal four-way Iron Man match to determine the new NXT champion. We will discuss that towards the end of the show. Hit the description, check out all the timestamps, make sure you find every single part of this show that you want to listen to. And hopefully the answer to that is the entire thing. But we will be starting out today talking the fallout from WWE Payback, which was Monday Night Raw, along with a couple other topics in our main event. Before we get to that, of course, need to introduce my co-host, the newly nicknamed Vintage Chris Vanini, who you can follow on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Chris, welcome into the show. I love it. It's official now. Yeah. The nickname is there. Thanks to everybody who submitted ideas. Someone sent me over the dog father. <laughs> I thought it was good. All things it's considered. It's not bad. That's not bad. Honestly, maybe we can maybe we can rotate it between different personas like Mick Foley or something. We will yeah. we will definitely keep that in one in mind. Vintage vintage Christmas Nini rolls off the tongue. So I'm gonna it stick does. with it. it. Does. I'm gonna stick it stick with it uh, at least for now. But I already told you how to follow Chris on Twitter. You can follow me if you so choose at Silverstein Adam. But what is most important is that you follow the podcast at Getting Over Cast. And once you do that, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star rating and review that you know is so important. It helps boost the show, get us more listeners, and hopefully we grow and we sell advertising. We do all really cool stuff that you know we want to do. But there's a lot of professional wrestling to talk, which is a surprise considering WWE Payback you know, was just over 24 hours ago. There's a lot of WWE still to talk about from Raw and some extraneous things that happened as well. And the only way we can start doing that on this show is by getting into the main event. And while we're going to talk about WWE Raw in a minute, we need to start with Brock Lesnar, who we actually have not seen since WrestleMania. It was reported and then seemingly confirmed on Monday that Brock Lesnar's WWE contract has lapsed. Of course, as I said, Lesnar has not been on screen since WrestleMania and his merchandise over the weekend was pulled from WWE shop. To me, Chris, this actually doesn't mean much in terms of Lesnar, you know, maybe not coming back to WWE. He lives in Canada, presumably cannot go back and forth over the border. WWE is not having the Saudi Arabia shows right now. So there's probably no rush on WWE's part to get him under contract. Plus, Lesnar always does an incredible job negotiating his contracts, and he has more bargaining power than he's ever had before with AEW existing, even though I don't think he would ever go there, nor do I think they would even contemplate trying to outbid WWE and what they would be willing to pay. I don't think the the cost value benefit for them would work. Lesnar would have to draw a significant amount of business 
to AEW just to be worth what they would pay him. And then you'd have to hope that that type of attention to the product would continue. So there's also the relationship with Vince McMahon and Paul Heyman to consider. There's the opportunity potentially for him to do a big money match with UFC or maybe even Bellator. But just as I don't think he would forsake his relationship with Vince McMahon and Paul Heyman, I don't think he would forsake his relationship, whatever relationship there is, working relationship at least, with Dana White. So ultimately, yes, it's lapsed. This has happened before. I have to believe Brock Lesnar will be back in WWE eventually. Um, And I don't know that too much needs to be made about it, but it's just so interesting because every time this happens, which is usually every two years or so, it's always made a big deal as if Brock Lesnar is going to go do something crazy. And ultimately, he just gets a few extra million dollars from Vince McMahon. Well, and it's also come up more when he's held the title or or he's been involved in a storyline. He's he's completely out of the picture right now. My reaction was just like, oh, all right. The, it, it, there's, just, there's no hurry for all the logistical reasons you mentioned. No, he's not going to AEW. I don't see any reason that would happen uh, for, for all the reasons you said. He, he's doing this for a paycheck. I don't think it'd be worth AEW paying that much money. I know the cons have a ton of money, but I, I really don't see that. Yeah, it's, um, not a, it's not a matter of whether they would be able to pay him. Yeah, it's, I, it's A, would you want to shell it out? B, does it make business sense for AEW? But from a WWE standpoint, if you're Brock Lesnar, your brand is the number one most important thing. Yeah. And you and you have total trust in Vince McMahon and Paul Heyman. Yep. So why would you go to a complete unknown scenario? I just don't see why you would ever do it. Yep, yep. And, and, and in storyline, honestly, I don't, I don't miss him right now you know he's no, great yeah. he's great in certain moments he was great at the rumble to put mcintyre over the the championship match you know was uh was what it was um but you know th- there's not any urge to get him back to perform in front of nobody to to be in a storyline with whoever drew mcintyre randy orton's been good stuff it's not like he's going to add a ton of the picture right now I, there's no real rush for anybody to do this maybe brock will want to go to ufc or something again who knows even though he's kind of said he was done with that yeah my reaction was just kind of a shrug and like oh it's interesting he'll he'll probably be back in wwe at some point i do think but there's no real hurry to to get him back yeah i mean i don't think we see him before the end of the year but it would not surprise me if 2021 royal rumble one year after losing it and getting claymore out of the ring he enters at like number 20 cleans house and wins the royal rumble and that will piss people off you know because you know, we don't want Lesnar in a title match again. And I'm one of those people, you know, let's, let's be clear. Longtime listeners know that I have stated many, many times Brock Lesnar does not need to be in the title picture in WWE to push merch, to get ratings or any of that. Brock should not be in the title picture. He's a part-timer. You've seen what has happened with WWE storytelling and championship building over the last five months without Brock Lesnar. What has happened? We've gotten a ton of people over, right? A lot of people have gotten opportunities. You're developing characters better rather than have one guy have a stranglehold on the title. So I love Brock Lesnar in WWE. He's great. I hate Brock Lesnar as a WWE or universal champion in WWE. I just think it hurts the overall product. So if you tell me that he can come back and yes, okay, if he wins the Rumble, obviously he would get a title match. But what I'm saying is, Get him back in a big moment. Get him back in a circumstance where, hey, maybe Edge isn't ready to go for WrestleMania and they need someone 
to fight against Randy Orton. And maybe maybe it's Brock Lesnar that ends the Legend Killer saga. That's an interesting storyline. There's other things they can do with Brock where, yes, I do still want to see him around. No, I don't need him there now. And honestly, in the Thunderdome, you're kind of wasting money with Brock. You want him in front of a crowd. Yeah. And, and kind of big picture on Brock, I will say he is, he is, I want to say one of the most underrated wrestlers yeah. ever in terms of oh, yeah. the little things. Like we know he didn't give the effort in the, in the Dean Ambrose match. Aside from that, the, the facials, the way he sells when he's into it, you saw it with all the stuff he did with Drew McIntyre. He is, he gets it. He gets this business it's a shame, you know, he didn't want to do all the traveling and he wanted to do the fighting and, and, and all that stuff. Obviously, it made him incredibly rich and successful. But um, with where he is now, yeah, there, there's no need. Save him for something special. Don't give him the title again. It, it was a bit of a drag. Let's it, whenever that happens, let's do something else. Now, let's move on to the second part of our main event, which was the main storyline Monday night on Raw, determining a number one contender for the WWE championship. And right off the bat, Chris. WWE fixed the storyline that pissed me off to no end last week. They had Randy Orton come out straight away and explain that Drew McIntyre offering him a rematch was done out of pity, which pissed him off and led to him punting McIntyre three times. That makes plenty of sense now. But what they could have done last Monday is taken 10 seconds to have Orton grab a microphone or interrupt an interview I don't take rematches out of pity, uh, you know, so I punted his head off. Sue me, throw the microphone, walk away. Then the storyline makes complete sense. Instead, the way they gave it to us, we came out of the show last week saying, that is so stupid. The guy already got the rematch. Why is he doing this? And again, now we had to wait a week. We had to wait an entire other pay-per-view just to get the storyline reasoning. So I'm glad they fixed it. I'm glad they they maybe thought it through where I thought they didn't, but they could have just given it to us last week. Yeah, pretty much the same thought. It was a little weird. This week was a whole lot better in terms of the title picture, the plan, everything. We'll get into everything they did. But you could c- coming into the show, they clearly had a plan again, like a payback that they wanted to execute, and they executed that plan, and it works. They did. Now, what they booked basically was three singles matches with the winners of those singles matches going on into a triple threat match at the end of the show to determine the number one contender for Drew McIntyre's WWE Championship. In storyline, McIntyre has a hairline fracture of the jaw. I guess that heals in four weeks, right? So he'll be, he'll be, he'll be able to wrestle, assumingly. Um, or maybe or maybe it doesn't. And that leads to who the winner of this number one contendership. It's, it's a weakness that that person can exploit. But we started off with Keith Lee defeating Dolph Ziggler in the first match. Thought it was really smart for them to have Ziggler attack Lee during his promo segment because you can assume that Ziggler saw what Lee did to Orton at payback, right? So he doesn't want the same thing to happen to him. He wants to get an upper hand. It was another great showing for Lee and a fantastic job by Ziggler putting over all of Lee's moves while laying in more offense against him than even Orton did on Sunday night. Lee won again with the spirit bomb. And I have to believe at this point, especially considering how many times we've seen it, that is his WWE main roster finish, not the Big Bang Catastrophe. Also, the way Ziggler sold it. Oh my <laughs> Man, god! Bouncing like off, almost bounced yeah. out of the ring. I love the way I love the way guys bounce on that thing. Um, yeah, you know, it, it it made sense the way they booked this because you can't 
you can't, you know, Keith Lee just dominated Randy Orton. You can't turn him into a monster right off the bat, you know. So you attack him with the promo. So you have a reason for Ziggler to get in a bunch of offense. You have a full on match and you, you get to the result you wanted. So I think that was booked well. You know, Ziggler sneak attack makes sense with his character. He's a guy who did just have some some WWE championship matches recently. So all, all of this worked for me. The match was fun. I really like how they're really leaning into Keith Lee the charge and like shoulder tackle that the sends pounce. the guy flying oh, the, the pounce. Oh, I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know it had a name, but yeah, you know, yeah. The, the stuff he did to Adam Cole that went viral. Now he does that all the time and it, even to bigger yeah. guys. And um, yeah, th- this all, this all worked for me and I, I really enjoyed it. And Keith Lee continues to uh, move onward and upward. Yeah, no, it's, it's an awesome name and it's an awesome move. I, I kind of don't want him to use it every single match, but man, yeah. like I want to see him do that to ricochet. Like there's a lot of dudes that I want to see him do that. Too. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like the Roman the Roman uh, Roman Reigns drive by. Like the first time that happened, that was like a whoa. Strowman, and, you mean, right? No, 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 uh, no. Roman when he jumps up and sits on the apron and kicks somebody. Oh, okay, yes, yes. Okay. First time we saw that, that was like a wow moment. And sometimes they do a bit too much, but it's still a really impressive move. And I love it. I thought you were talking about the Braun Strowman like shoulder tackle train oh, yeah. move outside. He did that to Kevin Owens. He like did a 360. You're like, yeah. oh my God, that's insane. And then every match he's like chew-chewing and doing it. And it's like, all right, enough. You know, I don't yeah. need to saying it. So yeah, save it for when it matters. But but that Keith Lee Dolph Ziggler match, I thought was a microcosm of this entire storyline on Monday night. Because every single segment here was booked perfectly. This story was the one that dominated the entire show. It probably took an hour 15 out of the three hours when you combine all the segments, maybe even a a tad longer. And every single segment was thought out extremely well. The second one, Randy Orton defeating Kevin Owens in the second match. It's always the little things that matter. I say it all the time. Orton coming out of Aleister Black's room right before the commercial break built a lot of intrigue into what was going to happen. And it made me as a viewer, maybe I was thinking about changing the channel. It makes me stay tuned to say, oh, I wonder how that's going to play out. I thought Black might interfere late in the match, but to see him just beat the ever-loving shit out of Kevin Owens and hit him with the Black Mass, it fully advanced their feud because it cost now Owens a WWE championship opportunity, and it gave Orton an easy win, and it also showed that Orton is a very, very smart heel. I just thought that was a really nice piece of booking. Yep, and that's how you send something to a commercial with with, with a tease, not boom, something happens and we cut to commercial and you got to sit there and wait to figure out what's going on because the action is going on when you do that. This was something's going to come. I'm going to I'm going to keep watching. So, yeah, you know, Orton's a heel. He, he wins a, a match like that. Makes sense. You know, Kevin Owens looks Kevin Owens doesn't get hurt by it. He looks like a guy who's trying to fight through it. They really emphasize that he was in no shape to to do that match. And he tried anyway. So, uh, again, just again, really smart, well thought out. It, it worked. And Orton paid that off later when before the triple threat match, he, <laughs> yeah. he told the other competitor who I'll mention in a moment, hey, I, I've, I've already worked tonight. And it's like, no, well, you know, <laughs> no, you haven't. And it's good. It's really good heel psychology. So I love that. But the third match was Seth Rollins defeating Dominic Mysterio. It was supposed to be Ray Mysterio. He was advertised. I really like before we get into the match, I really, really like that promo from Rollins at the beginning. It was oh. a it was a great decision for them not to necessarily split up Rollins and Murphy, at least not yet, but for Rollins to exile him and kind of light a fire under his ass. 
I maybe it will wind up in a split. Maybe Murphy turns face and turns on Rollins, and that's Rollins' next feud. And if that's what happens, that's fine because this is what we want, and we want Murphy to get that face push. Ultimately, you would hope he wins and gets over on Rollins, but maybe it doesn't happen, and maybe Murphy just takes a week off and then comes back more aggressive, and that works as well because he did get beat by Dominic Mysterio. So then you have the match. Well, hold, hold on, hold oh, on. on that promo. I, that that was one of my favorite Seth Rollins promos in quite a while. I, I I think his his promos throughout the Mysterio stuff have been okay, oh, you know, good, okay. This was a great promo. This had a lot of fire and energy and just edge to it. That this is that's the good kind of Seth promos, not the sarcastic type of stuff that we often get. The real where you can feel like that character is is angry. Uh, I, I really, really like that promo. Yeah, you want to feel like he's a messiah, but he's an a-hole. And, yeah. and he was an a-hole in that moment. And it left Murphy prone for Dominic to kind of get really aggressive running down to the ring, hit him with that clothesline. That was a hot start to the match, right? And I also got- I also liked, and I also liked the commentary said Dominic was doing that to Murphy because of everything Murphy has done. Because otherwise you're thinking, oh, this face is just attacking a guy from behind when he's not looking. You know, just throw that little nugget in there to justify it. And and off we go. It was, it was a good, good, good catch by commentary there. No, it was. And, you know, Rollins, man, he was so damn good in this match. I said it Sunday night, but Dominic has no business being this good at 20. <laughs> he just doesn't. I don't care who Sonny is. I, I don't care. He has no business being this good. And I think I said on uh, Twitter, you can go to hell if you don't like Dominic Mysterio. And I'm going to repeat it on the show. I mean it. You can go to hell if you don't like Dominic Mysterio. You can say, you know, oh, maybe he shouldn't have been in the spot. But I do think the injury to Rey Mysterio was legitimate. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in this match itself, Rollins put Dominic over really well by eating every single move except the frog splash. And the finish made great sense because when you miss that frog splash, you're face down. And Rollins was easily able to hit the stomp, get the one, two, three. And then for good measure after the match, hit the stomp again. Ray can't come out because he's not medically cleared to be by ringside. So he's stuck watching his son eat the stomp. So the match was really good. The booking was awesome. And this may wind up being, unfortunately, the end to the feud. We can talk about that momentarily. But this match, just two thumbs up for me. Yeah, honestly, I, I think I enjoyed this more than if Ray would have been in it. Um, I, I don't know why, but Dominic just has a lot of explosiveness and smoothness to him because he's 23. He's not, you know, obviously Ray is Ray and he's great. 45. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and Dominic's also believable. He's a big dude. So I, I can mm-hmm. I continue. It was three matches now we've seen him in and all three. He has looked very good. And every time I see him, I I want to see more of him. So. Uh, they advertised going back to Friday. They advertised the Rollins Rey Mysterio match during SmackDown, and we didn't really know what was going on or what that would have meant for um, so for payback. I, I think this is a great a, a great reason to do it to do it in these three triple threat matches, and also I think this is a good spot to um, to end it. We'll see if they do that or not, but I, I do think I, I think it's set. You know, the Mysterios, their legacy, they got that on payback. Seth got his win back the next day to, to, to do his thing. I think it's a good spot to close it. It's just difficult because, you know, ultimately they wanted Rey Mysterio to beat Rollins at some point, at some time. And the storyline or the the real news, we don't know, is that Rey Mysterio has torn his triceps. And that's not 
a small injury. That's not something you would kayfabe usually because that's talking about someone being out of action for a while. So either Mysterio is legitimately taking a break and this is the end of the feud and they're using the kayfabe injury to get out of it or he legit tore his triceps, in which case another situation where a feud that's been building for months upon months upon months isn't going to get its maybe planned conclusion based on injury. So it could put a damper on a really long storyline and potentially Dominic's debut as well. I mean, we were just talking last night, or I should say Sunday night, about how pumped up I was to have them work as a tag team and actually get in the tag team division and win the titles. And if this injury is real, you're obviously dropping that entirely. You're not getting the final Rey Mysterio-Seth Rollins singles match so Mysterio can get over. Dominic, do you keep him on screen without his father? Probably not. Maybe you put him in NXT. Maybe. But to me, it just seems like they're going to go away from it. I wouldn't be surprised if Monday night was the last time we saw Dominic and Ray, if the injury is real, until Ray's healthy again. Yeah, I'm not really sure unless you want to put him in some sort of group or some sort of random tag team just to kind of fill space because there's not a lot of tag team stuff going on. So, um yeah, I, I will. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, unless like Andra- unless like Zelina Vega, like can like somehow gets in his head and takes him under her wing and he joins that group or he maybe goes to NXT and joins Legado del Fantasma. That would make a lot of sense. So there are things they could do with him, but he's also raw and his entire storyline revolved around his father and Seth Rollins. So it is a tough spot. But let's move on to the final match of this storyline, which was the triple threat, Randy Orton. Keith Lee and Seth Rollins and Randy Orton winning. Lee delivered that springing double crossbody right early, like over the top rope. It was a cool ass move. And WWE really tried to feature Keith Lee in this match. He took a lot of offense from both guys, but he kept looking strong and stout, really. Someone that was difficult to deal with for Rollins or Orton on their own. So they had to team up. WWE even tried to do the camera shot that Keith Lee made famous in NXT where someone's in the corner and he rises from behind them like a giant and then grabs their neck or headbutts them or does something, except they totally missed the shot. And instead they just had him like bending down, squatting and then standing up on the ring on the ring ropes. And it just looks stupid. So I was really disappointed because if they had hit that shot, it would have been an awesome moment for him to finally get that on raw. Nevertheless, though, It was a great battle between three awesome wrestlers, man. And the finish was very smart. Lee hits the spirit bomb, which we know is now his finisher, on Rollins. Um, And as he's like getting himself composed to go make the pinfall, Orton hits him with the RKO. Knows he probably won't be able to pin Keith Lee with that. So he jumps over Keith Lee, lands on Rollins, pins him, and Rollins gets pinned with Lee's finisher. Yet... Lee doesn't win the match, but he's also not really the loser. Orton gets the pinfall and wins. It protected Lee. It protected Rollins because that's a devastating finisher that we know already pinned Randy Orton. And Orton got the win as he needed to. So I just thought it was an absolute A-plus finish. The match was good, but the finish was perfect. Yep, exactly. It was a great way to, to make Keith Lee shine. Um, they keep doing those table spots <laughs> with, with him and Randy and whoever yeah. he's in. They keep throwing people on the tables. I don't know if the table's supposed to break or not, but it's not. Um, yeah, it, it's a great way to make him shine and, and make him lose the match and go on to something else. You know, we, we said going uh, coming out of payback, we figured, 
oh, this sets up triple threat. You know, Randy, Randy can say he wants the title shot. Maybe Keith Lee deserves it. And we're wrong. And honestly, I am totally fine with that because I, oh, yeah. I, I, I yeah. said I said if Randy loses, he will have lost two straight matches. What sort of claim does he have to a title shot? Well, he just won two matches tonight. There's yeah. a reason for the title shot. Boom. Totally, totally makes sense. I'm on board. You know, Keith Lee's still in a perfectly fine position. We're, we'll see what what he does next. But um, yeah, again, the last couple last couple of days between payback and tonight's raw, it's been very clear that they have long term planning right now and they're moving forward with it. And that is exciting. Now, I, I can say that for this storyline, for their yes. major storylines. Yes. But I also thought as we kind of move into the rest of Raw, and by the way, before I do that, that's the most action I've had all year. Just great stuff from Keith Lee. So another just some extra credit for him there. Uh, But when we move into the rest of Raw, there were some high spots, you know, there was good, but it just felt like a lot of what happened tonight were the same storylines we've been seeing for at least the last two months. And you have to wonder, and I know a lot of these, by the way, we're not on SummerSlam, like the men's tag team situation. They're not on SummerSlam, but they had just won a tag team title match the prior pay-per-view after a poisoning, or maybe it was on Raw that they won the tag team title match. I don't even remember. And they're still feuding. So it's like, why the hell are you still feuding, right? So, you know, we'll get into that in a moment. But between that, the Hurt business and a lot of other things we saw, it just felt like different versions of the same stuff from Raw. And that doesn't mean it was bad because a lot of it was booked well, but I'm starting to feel like they just have a problem right now moving on from stuff. There's a lot of other people. Mustafa Ali is a great example. There's a lot of other people they can use and there's different people they can use in different ways, but they're just not really pulling those triggers. And it's pretty frustrating to me. Yeah, you know. I don't know. Coming out of this raw, I felt like not a ton happened, but I didn't. I didn't actively really hate anything in this episode. No, no me neither. Like yeah. none of it was nonsense. I, I am tired of Street Profits versus Garza and Andrade and wherever that's going. I don't really know. Um, but it, it it was it was fine. This episode it was a lot better than the previous week. You're oh, right yeah. that we you're right that we are continuing in a, lot, a number of these things. That's one reason I want the Mysterio Rollins feud to end, just because I need some of these feuds to end, and we got to start some new things. Um, but yeah, you know, there are a couple of things I think that still have me excited with some of these continuing feuds. But for some of them, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. Yeah, I mean, last week, yeah, like don't get me wrong, last week probably averaged out to like a D plus. This week's like a B. Like there was a there was a the main event segment, the main thing was an A, and then everything else was like a C. You know what I mean? And it just, yeah. that's kind of where it landed for me. And we'll kind of start with that promo really quick backstage, Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. I got so concerned, dude, that they were going to rehash the entire I'm the tag team champion thing with Daniel Bryan and Kane. Because they were both kind of saying that before mm. Asuka got in there. So Asuka jumps in, they argue a little bit, and... Nothing got resolved. And we'll kind of, I was actually going to do this later, but since I did mention Asuka, late, you know, it seemed like Mickey James, James had come out to challenge her maybe as the number one contender. It, it was yeah. Mickey James' birthday, by the way, so happy birthday to her. But then she fights Lana, despite the fact that she's been trying to fight Natalia. She fights Lana, 
the in-ring promo segment was rough, other than to show what we already knew, that there's no one on Raw right now to challenge Asuka because Shayna Baszler said she was going to be the number one contender. But then they put her in the women's tag team picture. So, so that's strange. Lana actually did a decent enough job in the match, like credit where it's due, where she wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad it was quick. Mickey won with the Mick kick. Rhymes there, not intended. And are we now going to get Mickey James as Asuka's number one contender? Do we get Mickey James versus Natalia maybe in a number one contender match where they've barely even had a real match to this point? The, the women's picture on Raw, and yes, I, I thought that the booking with Sasha was bad. Uh, the way they the, the 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 matches were great with Asuka and Sasha Banks, but the convoluted booking to get the title onto Sasha was terrible. But now what they're left with is a wide open women's division, but everyone's tag teamed up except for one tag team that got split up later in the show. We'll talk about that in a minute. So what did you think about all this? Like with Asuka and Mickey and and Natalia and all this? Yeah, I mean, it was a letdown to think we were getting Asuka, Mickey to then get Mickey, Lana. But like you said, at least it was quick. It it was what it was. I, I don't know. Like there really is nothing Asuka for her to do right now. So I don't know if you just kind of want her floating around jumping in on a couple things, or if you just want to keep her out of the picture for a few weeks or what, but um, th- that is a definite issue. And I'm not really sure what the resolution will be. Maybe it's Mickey Natalia next week and winner gets number one contender and we do a, a, a tile shot or something like that. But um, cause this is really, this is really kind of the only thing going on right now. And that was the problem that was always a problem with Sasha and Bailey sucking up so much of the energy and the time is that there just wasn't much behind them. Well, I mean, they, they're promoting Clash of Champions as every title on the line. So if you include the 24-7 championship, which I would prefer they don't, uh, that's eight, eight title matches, and that's a full show. So that means they need to figure out a, a situation for the Raw Women's Championship, along with some other Raw titles that are pretty stagnant right now, And the other thing that we learned is we do have a new number one contender for the Women's Tag Team Championship because we got a match, Riot Squad versus the Iconics, for the second straight night. But this time there was a stipulation added where the winners of the match would be number one contenders, but the losers of the match would split up for good. And it was clear to me from the second the stipulation was announced that how the match would go. I don't mind them splitting up the Iconics. I know people love Peyton Royce and Billy Kay. They've been great together since they came back. I thought they were doing their best work so far in their entire WWE and NXT run since they recently came back during this pandemic. But I was massively disappointed that for a stipulation that serious, they just announced it 30 minutes into the show and did not specifically build to it at all. They could have given us the storyline on Sunday after the Iconics lost and Ruby and Liv Morgan were celebrating on that kickoff show set. The Iconics could have come up, said, we want a rematch, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and then even challenged them that, hey, we're going to make you guys split up. Let's fight the loser, you know, has to split up. And then you have the storyline and then you have the match and it still would have been rushed a little bit, but at least you know that these teams have been feuding for multiple weeks. Instead, they just threw the stipulation out there and it's like, why did you do that, right? So there have been rumors for a while that WWE wants to push Peyton Royce as a single 
if they do that, I am concerned about what's going to happen to Billy Kay. But I, it just stuck with me that they could have done it better from a storyline standpoint. As far as everything else, and you can answer right after this, the promo backstage with the Iconics was solid because it basically gave them a send off as a team before the match began. The match itself was good enough, but it was short. And considering the stakes for the Iconics, I'd like to have seen Ruby or Liv Morgan hit their finisher and get a clean win rather than them break up with a roll-up. So I thought the execution of the match was bad in terms of how they split up. The the execution of giving the stipulation for the match was bad. But I don't mind them splitting up in terms of storyline, in terms of their careers. I just didn't like the packaging. Yeah, this was a, this was a spot where they they didn't get the little things. Who who made the stipulation? Is Adam Pierce in charge? Who knows? No. He's on Rana. I just you, you just announce it. I don't know who determines this stuff. You know, just like you explained, could have just laid it out pretty simply, and it makes it easier to digest. A number of weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, I don't remember. They were teasing that they would break up, so you right. kind of figured that right. where this was going. Uh, was not surprised at the result. Not only do they lose that match, then they go into Raw Underground and Billy Billy Kay gets beat up in a second after Peyton throws her in. So that's really the end of it, I guess. And yeah, I, I'm makes me concerned about Billy Kay's future and, and whatever they see, because obviously we know they like um, Peyton Royce. Uh, so this seems like it's the end, although there was a weird line. <laughs> there was a weird line. Um, Tom Phillips, after they lost, said uh, over a decade of friendship is gone. And I was like, wait, are they not <laughs> right. allowed to be friends anymore? <laughs> I, 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 they can't tag team, but I guess they can't be friends anymore. I don't know. But that's um, the weird thing. It's like, OK, so they can't tag anymore. But in kayfabe, they could a could they could still be friends. Billy could become her manager. They yeah. could still accompany each other to the ring, but just not wrestle together. And then, yeah, you're right. They go into Raw Underground. And it was kind of weird seeing them there. But then Peyton just throws her best friend for kind of no reason to Marina Sh- uh, Shafir and Jessamine Duke to get her ass handed to her with that kick, the roundhouse kick to the side of the head. And by the way, Billy sold that thing like death. So good for her. That was hysterical seeing her sell that. But so she throws her to the wolves and then she doesn't even cackle like a heel. She just smiles weird while Shane hugs her as, as Raw Underground ends like, I, I just, it was such a mess. I, you know what? I'm going to hit it. Screw it. Zero point zero. This was the bad part of, of Raw for me. And I'm going to hit it with a, you got to be joking me. Yeah, I don't I have. not a fan of that. Unfortunately, I don't have that. I do have this. Oh, what a little freak. What a weirdo. Doesn't fit, but you know, whatever. It's the Iconics. Okay. Well, you sh- we should also grab Billy K going, you go, you go to journalism school for that one. I don't remember exactly. That was to Kayla Braxton, I think, a while back. It was. It was really funny. Um, let's, you know, I was going to say let's go to Raw Underground, but we got to talk about stuff that happened before that. We'll get to Raw Underground in a little bit. Let's talk Street Profits um, against Andrade and Angel Garza in a Tornado tag team match. By the way, Silver King's a huge fan of Tornado tag team matches. As you guys know, I mention it all the time for AEW. I wish they just made it their rule for their tag team matches since they don't follow tag rules anyway. Anyway, talking about WWE here. Uh, the first thing I wondered is why the hell this feud is still happening. I kind of mentioned that <laughs> yes, earlier. Yes. How the hell is it not over yet? Credit words do. The comedy segment backstage got me. Like the profits made me laugh. And this match started hot with Angela Dawkins doing that super duper plex 
basically that he did the power bomb portion of it all by himself. That was cool. Dawkins ended up taking a beating in this match. Montez Ford made that awesome save with that leap to break up the pinfall, and he looked ready to roll just as Retribution attacked. I'm going to pause there, okay? We're going to talk about Retribution coming up next, but this match, this storyline, I know there's a lack of tag teams on Raw. I know they've already used the Viking Raiders in an extended storyline, but the Profits got, Montez Ford got poisoned <laughs> by Zelina Vega. They then won their tag team match, and, and Andrade and Angel Garza have had at least two opportunities. What are they still doing fighting each other? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I'm confused by that. I'm confused by Demi Burnett continuing to be on the show. It's, it's insane. <laughs> and, and, and get like and get like one line every episode. Now she's she's advanced to being ringside. But it's it's just it's so weird. Maybe that's going to be the ve- maybe this Garza leaving the match with her. Maybe that's kind of the vehicle for Andrade and him to break up and they do a thing. Uh, it, it, it was, it was, it was weird. The street profits are great. I enjoy seeing them, but, but in general, let's get them with somebody else. I, you know, for all the Viking Raiders stuff they did, we only got what one match with them and it was a short one on raw. Like, yeah, you could put these guys in an actual wrestling feud and I wouldn't hate it. Just have them do another number one contendership, put Andrade and Angel Garza, put the Viking Raiders, Put Ricochet and Cedric Alexander, find another team, throw them in there as well, and have the Viking Raiders win, and then have a match at the pay-per-view. I mean, the Profits, I just have to assume, are going to fight Andrade and Angel Garza again at the sh- at the pay-per-view. But the yeah, fact that they that. didn't even the fact that they didn't even change the title in this match, they uh, you know not in this match in the prior match, they could have changed the title, and then right. had them continue feuding because then they want the rematch. And I know WWE is trying not to do that, but in a circumstance like this, you can make an excuse. But anyway. You mentioned Demi Burnett. Real quick on her. What, so she keeps showing up every week. <laughs> She's there for Garza, but she keeps kissing Ivar. <laughs> what what is she know. there for? And then, and then Angel Garza sees her doing that, slyly smiles, has a rose again, gives it to her. Now she's accompanying him to the ring. What is she doing there? Like, they better have... Look, man, they, I kind of want to trust them just because... Things have been so good recently, but unless they have like the most epic Demi Burnett storyline that I'm just not seeing coming, get her off my television. I don't dislike her. She's not doing anything wrong, nothing against her whatsoever. The storyline makes no freaking sense. I I enjoy her on on various Bachelor shows, but yes, I'm just every time she shows shows up. It just, it's so weird. I don't know where this is going. I don't know if it's going anywhere, but I just kind of chuckle every time she pops up on my screen. Like, apparently, you know, apparently she has nothing better to do than to fly down to Orlando every, every, uh, uh, Monday. And I'm fairly certain she doesn't live there. I think she lives, she's from Dallas. I think she lives in LA. I, I don't really know why she's down there all the time, but I just, it's funny to me. It's weird. It's so weird. Maybe she's legitimately dating someone we don't know about. It's definitely not Garza because he's married or engaged. But I don't know, man. It's like she just keeps showing up. It's like she's one of those bootleg snacks, you know? Hey, no, no, y'all got those bootleg snacks. Oh. Y'all, y'all got the snacks that don't come out till 2021. You know, fanatic. Yes, sir. I mean, maybe this is something we'll get in 2021. I don't know, but I don't get it right now. As far as retribution, so they show up at the ring at the end of that match and they beat up everyone, including Zelina Vega, which I thought was a nice touch. Garza runs away with Demi. Later, you see them backstage. 
when Retribution shows up, he's like, no, I, I cared more about you than the match. And you're right. Maybe that will play into some type of split with Andrade where it looked like they had, you know, kind of coalesced together. So, but then Retribution shows up. He freezes like a deer in headlights, runs away, and Demi's there looking nervous. That made me laugh. So that was <laughs> really funny. And if that's the end of it, that's cool. You know what I mean? Maybe in kayfabe, Retribution just annihilates Demi Burnett and she's gone. But if she shows up next week, all happy-go-lucky with Ivar again, I'm just going to puke. Um, and then at the start of the show in, regarding Retribution, you have Adam Pierce challenging security to stop them. But I swear, dude, I swear to God, every time someone on TV calls them, the group that calls itself <laughs> Retribution, and it happened three times tonight, mm -hmm. I want to defenestrate myself. <laughs> I want to toss myself out of, I almost cursed, uh, a G damn window and just end it because it's so stupid. You're the ones who called them <laughs> retribution from the very beginning. They don't call themselves anything. That's what they are. They're retribution. So just deal with it and call them that. It's maddening. I got to say it's maddening. It, yes, it's, it's weird. I, I guess the idea behind that is they're mysterious. They call themselves retribution. We don't know who they are. I don't know. The retribution. Also, yeah, you named them. I don't. I don't get any of it. It's weird. Also, was this the first time Adam Pierce was on Raw doing this deal that he's been doing on SmackDown? I think so. I now, didn't there, recall. There's a chance him. he. There was a chance he was on there before, but it does seem like they are making him in not necessarily an on-screen authority figure, but like, but like a like a diplomat almost of Vince yeah. McMahon. Someone who's so, just representative of the authority. I think that's cool. Yeah, no, yeah. He just popped up and I don't know if they were going to explain more of it, but uh, yeah, it's, it, they, he gives that pep talk, I guess, to security. And it's weird that he like was so demanding of that when we've had two straight pay-per-views over the last week plus where they didn't interfere and security's done a, I guess, I assume security's done a good job. Well, his, his pep talk worked on SmackDown, so. Yeah, yeah, you know? so. Apparently, Retribution only works TV, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then, by the way, after seeing Retribution be six members last week, and, like, we're like, okay, they figured it out, right? They got their six. They stood tall. They made sure they were on screen. Now there's ten again. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, look, look, I – Retribution started really bad, okay? Really, really bad. It has gotten better in terms of – they're not screaming, yeah, they're not jumping around like teenagers, and they're not just destroying property. They're actually attacking superstars. But you have given us zero reason for motivation. We don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it. Two weeks, you had them spray paint, crossing out the WWE logo. Then that completely stopped. Now, they're only attacking wrestlers, and, and one week, they're attacking main eventers, going after the Fiend and Braun Strowman, and the next week, they're interfering at the end of a tag team match on Raw. So... There's no consistency. We haven't heard a message from them. They haven't sent in a tape. There's so many other things they could be doing with this group, connecting with the hacker to actually tell us that they mean business. But instead, they're getting as lazy as they possibly can and just saying, okay, this is a segment where we don't really want to do a finish for the match. This is where we'll have Retribution get in. And it's just like, what are you doing? Payback was the right time to unveil them. Now, when are you going to unveil them? And when you do, it has to be disappointing because unless they have a big name leader, someone crazy like a CM Punk that we don't see coming, and I don't think that's going to happen, Dominic Dijakovic being the leader of Retribution, let's say, 
that's such a letdown. I love the guy, but who cares, right? So I just I just think this is dead in the water. And I thought over the last three or four weeks, I, I thought they had rehabilitated it a little bit where I was like, yeah. all right, you know what? They can announce or they can reveal themselves and maybe they can be something. But the longer they drag this out, the worse it's getting. Yep. It was weird to start. It got better in the middle. Now it's trailing off. We don't see them at pay-per-views. We don't really know what they're doing now. I, I said this, I may have said this Sunday or, or last week, like they have to do something now. We have to find out who they are and what they want now because they're treading water. And if you're treading water, you are drowning in wrestling, so to speak. So yeah, and, and whatever this reveal is has to be an impact. We, we can't <laughs> have had them interview, uh, interfere in a Drew promo, do all that video truck stuff, which I really liked. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. But they have to have an impact off the bat now. And again, I still confuse them with the ninjas sometimes because they're still dressing the same. Yeah. And, and so you got to have a, you know, we talk about a lot of these things that it looks like they have a plan moving forward. It doesn't look like they have a plan for retribution right now. Maybe they're moving them over to raw here and that's the new plan. I don't know, but you gotta, you gotta, they have to make an impact and it has to be soon. It really doesn't feel like they have a plan. And yes, to your point, WWE, they have like this world-class video production team. You can't string together a 45 second demand video or explanation video, or even just something that shows chaos where you then say, huh, okay, I kind of wonder what they mean by that, right? Or a catchphrase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no, mis there's no or mystery. Or a logo. There's nothing. We're going, we're, it's a rudderless ship. It's just moving and it, it, it's paddling and you're not going anywhere. So they just got to do something. Move, move, bitch, get out the way with retribution. Do something. All right, we're speaking of moving, we're going to move on because there's more from Raw to talk about. Cedric Alexander and the Viking Raiders defeated the Hurt Business. That whole backstage segment with Alexander looking weak and then Demi Burnett showing up again for no reason, as we mentioned, <laughs> that was eye-roll-inducing. Why is Demi kissing Ivar and later she goes ringside with Gars? I mentioned that before. Why is MVP so intent on recruiting a total loser, at least to that point, in Cedric Alexander? So, okay, we get the match. Match ended up not being bad at all, all things considered. Alexander rolling up MVP provided a bit of intrigue as he finally got over on someone. But then, as soon as he gets over on someone, he gets the shit kicked out of him backstage. I thought it was well done to have Apollo Crews and Ricochet save him because I was wondering where the hell they were. And then after that, we go into Raw Underground and you have... Apollo Crews versus Shelton Benjamin, which was an interesting match, or, you know, at least the matchup, the advertising. We got like 30 seconds and then it becomes a six man brawl with her business kicking the shit again out of all three of these guys. They tapped out Cruz, Ricochet and Alexander. And granted, they're all smaller and the matchups, given who was against who in that setting, it made sense that her business would win. But it's the same guys beating up the same other guys. Every single week, and again, just like Retribution, just like some other stuff, nothing is moving forward. I don't get what they're doing here. Well, they did add some intrigue, but then kind of went back on the intrigue. So after right. Alexander exactly. wins the match, MVP holds off Benjamin and Lashley from beating him up. And you're like, oh, he's being nice. Maybe this is going to be trying to bring Alexander back into the fold. But then they're beating him up. And then Apollo, then Apollo and Ricochet come back and Ricochet holds his guys, uh, then MVP holds his guys back again. But it's like, well, then why were you just beating him up? I, I, it, I don't know if it, it, 
the relationship they have with Cedric Alexander is so weird. Uh, it's it's like it's like in, it's like when you're a kid in elementary school and you like pick on the girl that you like, but it's it's I don't really know where this is going. I the, it seems like they're teasing something, but then some of the other actions go against it. So I'm I'm in the middle on this in terms of maybe they have a plan, maybe they don't because it's it's very inconsistent. But they are teasing a little bit. It just cruises and champion ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Even when they get over, they get beat up. Mustafa Ali was there for two weeks. Now he's not on television again. He's wrestling on main event. It's just like you have all these guys. You have a mid card now in Lashley who needs a challenger. Why don't you set something up? So this guy gets a challenger. And if you want to, if it, if it ends up being Cruz, cause he just had a long title reign. He just lost the title. That's fine. But there are so many other guys who can challenge Lashley. Some of whom, Mustafa Ali and Ricochet, two of them, are involved in this storyline or, or at least tangentially were. So work them in, get a new number one contender, create a tournament, do something to, to figure out a way to do something with the United States Championship as opposed to just have the same two or three guys talk about it every single week. But that's where I stand. It's just, again, it's it's paddling and not going anywhere. And I, I, it's frustrating. I also, I did like the Apollo promo. He kept that serious edge we saw at the end of Payback. He basically said he's not the guy who's just going to sit there and smile anymore. Um, that seemed like another small step in the right direction from him. But again, we've seen these same people interact. We got to do something different. But whatever is coming next for Apollo, uh, so far I like where they're kind of edging. What this has succeeded in doing, you know, I'm not saying it's all been bad, but it, it's resuscitated Apollo Crews' career. I mean, the title reign did that more than anything. Uh, Shelton Benjamin matters again. Bobby Lashley, we were talking about coming out of the Drew McIntyre feud, how he was now a legitimate main eventer when we really wanted to see him in big things. He's now the United States champion. So there's a lot of positives here. But once that, once you have a stopping point, you have to hit the stopping point and then move forward. And they're just not moving forward. And it's the same thing we talk about all the time on SmackDown with Corbin. Every feud Corbin's in, it's a month too long. Mm -hmm. It feels like this has now gone on already probably two weeks too long and now it's still going. So it's like, is there any end in sight? And maybe it's at clash of champions. I hope it is, but they got to start moving in a different direction here. I hope they're just not biding time until whatever draft they're going to have to shake things up because you got to shake them up now. I mean, raw was not bad yeah. and I'm doing a lot of complaining here. Raw was not bad, but it also, some of these things were not good and, and they got to step forward here um, to wrap up with raw underground. You know, I I, I I think I'm done. Like, I like that it feels unique and it gets more people on TV. Those are the positives. But there seems to be no true value to succeeding in Raw Underground. And this goes back to my idea pri previously with they could have had the 24-7 title become a Raw Underground title and it would have actually meant something. You had Titus O'Neil squash a couple dudes and then get punched in the face and, and kicked down low by Riddick Moss. Later, Jessamine Duke and Marina Shafir murdered a couple of women. We mentioned everything else that happened. But in the end, what is the success of that? Because Duke and Shafir, they're not, even though we know they're aligned with Shayna Baszler, they're never with her. Titus isn't going to do anything. Riddick Moss isn't going to do anything. Shelton's been there a couple of times. Dolph's been there a couple of times. But Dolph, Dolph looked good in those opportunities. But he, then he just lost to Keith Lee. So I don't really know what the I know the purpose of Raw Underground is just to keep people watching because it's like, oh, you don't know what's going to happen next. 
but they're making they're giving no reason for anyone in kayfabe to want to actually be in raw underground i i, I still really liked what they did tonight and i i agree they need to kind of figure something out and move forward but they hyped up titus was going to be in this and titus looked good <laughs> yeah i mean he's he big. was wrecking people and when you get these guys who are ex-football players like him and riddick moss and they don't need to do wrestling moves and they can just kind of brawl a little bit for for three minutes i think that makes it look that makes them look good it takes advantage of certain strengths um i i, I still really like the idea i like that the the music's playing in the background again uh i, I still like shane i'm seeing the whole thing i agree and i i probably said this a few weeks ago too but they need to kind of figure out what the plan is here um, because I, I still like it, but you're going to have to eventually kind of move into something else. And, and I liked Dolphin there. I liked Lashley in there. These guys with wrestling backgrounds. It, it's enjoyable to watch because it's just a different style of fighting compared to everything you else get on Raw. So it's a nice change of pace in that final hour uh, where, where things kind of drag a bit. So I'm still on board with Raw Underground. I just, I agree that they kind of need to figure out what the overall plan here is. Uh, but, you know, I, I see what Titus did tonight, uh, uh, Sunday night, whatever night is. I'm losing track of time. Monday night. <laughs> I liked what they did with Titus. I like that Riddick got up on him because he surprised him with and just knocked him out. Um, I, I still like what they're doing. I just think you're right that they need to figure out where it's going to go. Quick test for you, Mr. College Football. Titus O'Neill from Florida. And name? Uh, Thaddeus Bullard. Okay, and Riddick Moss from? Minnesota. Very good. Okay, two for two. Um, he was good, by the way, Thad. Thad at Florida was really good. But anyway, moving on. Uh, last but not I, least. I actually, I actually interviewed Titus for a story on college football players uh, moving to pro wrestling a couple years ago. So He's a good guy. He, he's, he's, oh, he's a great guy. He is legitimately the good guy that you see on TV and that you see do all the charity things. That's him in real life. Just a legitimately awesome dude. I was about to say last but not least. No, I'm going to change that. Last and least. The 24-7 championship. R-Truth is champion again, defeating Akira Tozawa in a parking lot roll-up. I, 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 didn't, I didn't hate this one. I don't no, like the idea of it. Just everything I thought this skit on its own was actually pretty funny and creative. <laughs> the guy, he has the list. Dude, they have a huge roster. I know, and, I, I agree. And if they gave any thought to this whatsoever, if they sat in a creative meeting and gave it 15 minutes of thought, they could do something with the 24-7 championship. It's bad, it's boring, it's repetitive. It's the same two people, maybe three at any given time, do something with this title or get rid of it. I've given you options, WWE. If anyone's listening, or I know I'm just speaking out into a void and the, the couple thousand people that listen to us, but if I'm not speaking into an avoid, if anyone hears me, either make it the Raw Underground title, have it be contested between numerous people as a low card title and allow it to be won by more than just a roll-up pinfall in an unscheduled match. Let people hit each other with sledgehammers, or throw them into concrete, or you know, do wrestling moves outside the ring and win the title. Do anything but what you're doing. The comedy aspect is fine, but include wrestling, make it feel somewhat real. It's such garbage. I'm so sick of it. Overall, yes, I don't like what they're doing. 
don't like what they're doing. I thought this one was kind of funny. I, I was actually, I was like, I was like, he's not on the list. The list is blank. Wait, what is going on here? And then he unzips. He's got the ref thing. I thought that was kind of funny. It, it was, it's not what it needs to be overall. I agree. But this specific one, I actually thought was kind of funny. But get rid of the ninjas again. We're, I'm, I'm done with them. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. There's no redeeming this. I'm done. I'm done with the 24-7 championship until they prove prove me otherwise. Uh, that is it, though. Breaking down WWE Raw from this week. We are now going to move on to talk about NXT Super Tuesday and the awesome fatal four-way Iron Man match. But for that, Chris Vanini is going to take his leave. He's going to head out, and I will be right back with you to break down everything that happened on NXT Tuesday night on the other side of this. Hey now, Silver King back with you Tuesday night as soon as NXT Super Tuesday went off the air and we were going to break down everything that happened on this show. But you know we have to start with the NXT Championship Fatal 4-Way Iron Man match to determine the new NXT Champion after the title was vacated last week by Karrion Cross. We are going to break down this entire match right now, but after we're done, we're still going to talk about everything else that happened on NXT Tuesday night. So this match, you had Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Adam Cole, and Finn Balor. And the first 10 minutes saw a lot of alternate one-on-one pairings, which gave everyone a bit of time to kind of get in a groove and almost be showcased, warm up a little bit. I thought it was smart from that perspective. Again, giving them that opportunity to warm up. And then you saw maybe the second 10 minutes, everyone started working together. You saw some triple threat action, a couple instances where all four of them were fighting, and it was just a nice pace to get the match going. I thought Balor would get the first fall after that 1916. Didn't happen. Action really did pick up, though, during the first picture-in-picture commercial break as Ciampa twice stopped Cole from hitting the last shot, and then Gargano and Ciampa locked Balor and Cole respectively in submission moves. It was another spot where I thought we'd get falls, though ultimately I was glad we didn't because it was a commercial break. The first fall came with about 34 minutes left in the match after that really cool two sweet spot between Balor and Cole. It was a nice Easter egg for any Bullet Club fans out there. That led to Balor cleaning house with his diving drop kicks outside of the ring, then hitting Cole with the coup de gras for the one, two, three to go up one nothing on the rest of the field. The Champa frustration spot that we saw next during the second commercial break, the picture-in-picture, picture, was really entertaining as Balor broke up two pinfall attempts after backbreakers, only to then eat one himself and still kick out after 2.5. Then it looked like Champa had finally gotten Balor with Willow's Bell and the fairy tale ending, only for Gargano, of course, to sneak in and pin Balor. So all of a sudden, coming right out of that commercial break, it's 1-1-0-0, Gargano and Balor with the falls. There were some great teases and near falls after that, with everyone trading blows until Cole hit the Panama Sunrise on Gargano for three of them to have one fall with about 25 minutes left, Cole now being the third and Champa being the only one without a fall. And I started to wonder, maybe they're going to do a scenario where, you know, Champa did get his ass kicked by Cross. He came back, he had a nice match last week. Maybe they're going to do another booking where this guy is kind of on the short end of the stick. Turns out they didn't do that. Uh, Champa very quickly after that got on board with the double Willow's Bell on Gargano and Cole, then hit fairy tale ending on Cole for the pin of his own. So Champa pin Cole, ones across the board, everyone is tied up. 
And I really couldn't help but laugh in that moment as Gargano was selling that Willow's Bell like absolute death. It looked like almost a, a glitch in a video game or something with him standing on his head with his legs propped up on the rope. So I thought that was really funny. Even with 20 minutes left, it was really tough to get a handle on who would win or the direction they were pointing you to in the match. Not just because of the even agency throughout the match, but none of the guys going in were complete baby faces. So there was no clear rooting interest in your head in terms of what you think they're going to book, nor from the performance center talent that was there in attendance at ringside. So we got another uh, picture in picture commercial break with the repetitive figure four leg locks placed on Champa after he injured his knee. I believe Cole kicked him in the knee while he was climbing the ropes. Gargano slid in the ring, put Champa in the Gargano escape. And those were moments where I really wanted to hear the commentary and the crowd going crazy because it really did feel like a fall was coming. But alas, we didn't have that opportunity. Still, a four-way tie at one with eight minutes left in the match when they took the final commercial break. And I got to give credit to USA Network. At least they understood and WWE communicated what this match was, and they didn't go away for commercial where you were unable to watch the action. I know last week I said, hey, it would be great if a sponsor stepped up and and paid for an entire hour and WWE didn't have to take any breaks in that spot. But picture in picture is much better than nothing. It would have really sucked to have been taken away from the action. But because of all of those breaks in the match and you knew they were going to come, I kind of wish they had spaced out the falls a bit more as the first four all came within like a 15-minute window. I also wish they had narrowed down the contenders a tad by having two or three of the guys up to one so you knew who was on the side to play spoiler and who was fighting to win. That could have created specific storylines coming out of the match. Now, I should note, these are my thoughts as I'm watching the match. So I'm just telling you my mindset. Knowing the finish, which we'll talk about you know, coming up very soon, I don't necessarily still agree with that, but but that is what I was thinking at the time where I was like, you know what? It'd be really cool if Gargano was in a pure spoiler role right here where two or three of the other guys had the same amount of falls and he was trying to preserve the opportunity for him to tie them up, but at the same time, trying not to let anyone go up two on him. And that was just an example of what I thought they could have done. But we did get Gargano and Cole revisiting their rivalry with an expanded spot. There was about five minutes left. And that was a really nice callback. Champa also did a good job consistently selling that knee injury, which made it feel to me like it would factor into the finish. Champa hit Gargano with that unique slingshot under the ring, only for Cole and Balor to break up the pinfall attempts that followed. And then Champa kicked out of a 2.9 on a surprise roll-up from Gargano that I actually thought in that moment was going to be the deciding fall in the match. So obviously it turned out not to be the case, but that was a great false finish right there. Gargano and Champa being the last two in the ring, it felt poetic uh, considering the rivalry did not end the way we all expected with that cinematic type of match, and that was a bit disappointing. But then it looks like as just as Champa is about to get his revenge, Balor comes in out of nowhere with the coup de grace for the one, two, three to win the entire thing. But wait, Adam Cole hits the last shot. But can he get Balor over in time? You see the clock ticking away. You're in your head. You're saying to yourself, he's not going to flip him over in time. It's going to be a disappointment finish for Cole and Balor's just going to squeak by. Nope. He gets him over just in time. Gets the one, two, three on the final three seconds of the clock. Really good job. WWE doing the post-production to make sure it all lined up. I thought that was great. In terms of the match, folks, I really 
liked the match, but I loved the finish. You now have Adam Cole and Finn Balor squaring off next week in a sudden death single fall match to determine the NXT champion. My demand as a fan for NXT is always that they treat wrestling with more reality than the WWE main roster product. And when you think about the scenario of a fatal four-way Iron Man match, it is just as likely that two or even three people have the same number of falls at the end as one person having one additional fall or you know more than that even than everyone else. And you guys all know that I said a tie finish was exactly what I wanted on last week's show when this was announced and I was breaking it down. And if anyone missed that show or if anyone doesn't believe me, here's the proof. There's so many different things they can do. Considering Iron Man matches are determined by total falls, not who gets the pinfall or submission last, you could theoretically have two wrestlers tie because it's a fatal four-way and force a match the following week. People would probably complain at that, but if this match is amazing, then I don't know who would really care ultimately. It's almost getting two NXT championship matches in a row in back-to-back weeks. So, And that's exactly what we're getting. We're getting two NXT championship matches in back-to-back weeks with four of the best wrestlers in the entire company on the first one, and now two of the best wrestlers in the entire company in the second one. And I'm not surprised that people are crapping on it. Some people, for one reason or another. But these are the same people who will praise time limit draws in New Japan after great matches. Or they'll love that Cody and Darby Allin fought to a time limit draw when AEW was kind of in its infancy and Cody had that great match with Darby right at the beginning. Maybe it's because this finish was leaked beforehand, apparently. And by the way, that sucks. And WWE really needs to get that under control. This is like the third... TV main event that has leaked ahead of time, and it's just ridiculous. But maybe people had preconceived notions when they saw that this was going to be a draw finish, that it's going to be bad. There's no way it can be good them doing that. But I can't buy that logic, not one bit. I thought the finish was great. The way they booked it was extremely solid. Was it a five-star match? No. But I mean, it was probably like four and a quarter stars, maybe four and a half stars. They had everything you could want in a potential match. It's just, the and the finish was great too. It's just there were periods of time during the match, probably from like 25 minutes left to like eight minutes left, where it feels like once you start doing falls, you probably shouldn't stop, and they stopped. And I think that slowdown in the match with the multiple commercial breaks at the same time hurt that overall quality, that overall star rating. But that doesn't mean the match wasn't good. It was very good. And it doesn't mean the finish wasn't great. It was great. So with the show being next Tuesday, again, due to the NHL playoffs, it's also smart business for NXT to figure out ways to get people to tune in from an appointment viewing standpoint. This accomplishes exactly that. If I was booking it, I probably would have gone with Finn Balor and Tommaso Ciampa instead of Adam Cole being in another title match. But that is just a personal preference and a very small nitpick on what I thought, at least, was a very successful main event and ultimately a successful booking. Or as Vince McMahon might say, This is such good shit. It really was good shit, at least for me. We are going to break down the rest of NXT coming up now. Before we do, though, we had some big NXT news, just like we had big WWE news 
at the start of the show, Mauro Ranallo and WWE mutually and amicably parted ways this week. Mauro had been off TV for a couple of weeks as his mother is currently in the hospital. He also spends a significant amount of time taking care of his own mental health. He is bipolar as he's um, shared you know, so openly numerous times. And he supports a ton of charities for mental health as well. On top of all of that, this is a guy who simultaneously has been employed by WWE, Showtime Boxing, and Bellator. So he's still going to continue doing many combat sports jobs, Showtime and Bellator in particular, which is great because Morrow is awesome calling all types of combat sports. Of course, selfishly, I'm sad to see him go. Uh, he's been such a strong consistent part of NXT through its best era. And he did tremendous work even when he was on SmackDown with Vince McMahon in his ear. And we know that was not ideal. Morrow seemed to be at peace with the decision and his announcement, saying he got to live out a childhood dream by calling WWE action. He's 50 now. He has a lot, it seems like, going on in his life. I do hope we see him back again sooner than later. Maybe there's spots just like how WWE used Jim Ross and legacy situations to call major matches if Johnny Gargano has a final match on NXT or something like that down the line. Maybe we can get Mauro Ronaldo to call that match. It would be great. But you guys know Mauro, for me, has always been the voice of NXT. I'm as big of a Mauro fan as probably anyone out there. And it just kind of sucks to see him leave the brand. So it's unfortunate uh, I wish him the absolute best, him, his family, and his mental health. And I just, I hope that we see him uh, in WWE slash NXT at some point again, you know, in the not too distant future. On that note, it does appear as if NXT is going to be shaking up its commentary team with Wade Barrett currently negotiating to join them full-time as an announcer. And this is exciting news Barrett has been damn good on NXT the last two weeks, and previously with under his real name, Stu Bennett, he was very good on NWA Power. With Morrow gone, Nigel McGuinness still furloughed and kind of stuck in the United Kingdom, the team of Barrett and Joseph will be good on NXT if Barrett can ultimately work out a deal. I will say, though, that it bothers me Joseph does not call out moves as much or anywhere near as much as Morrow during matches. He was better in the main event on Tuesday night, but a lot of the other matches, he didn't know people's signature moves or their finishers, or he just wasn't able to call them in the moment. And that is pretty important to the NXT product. It is something that sets them apart, uh, the actual calling of the wrestling action, as opposed to being a play-by-play man who was more of a storyteller, which is what he was doing previously on Raw, and it's what uh, Michael Cole and Tom Phillips currently do for SmackDown and Raw, respectively. Moving into the rest of the NXT show, we had Isaiah Swerve Scott and Brizongo defeat Legato Del Fantasma in a street fight. And there was nothing wrong with this match per se, but for my personal taste, there was just too much comedy for a street fight. Then you have Imperium come out, so now it's five on three odds, but the faces still get over because of a pair of double high-risk maneuvers, right? Don't get me wrong, the double cannonball sentons off the forklift, they were pretty awesome. It was a great sight. And I'm happy that we saw Swerve hit his JML driver finisher, pin the champion clean, and win the match because it continues their feud. But I just wish it was handled a little bit more seriously. The one thing I did love that was a comedy spot in this match in particular 
was that slingshot that Brizongo did uh, into Raul Mendoza's balls, <laughs> his nether regions, for lack of a better term. Uh, that popped me. I popped him too. But I, I did think that was pretty funny. The rest of it, though, a little bit more serious. Legado del Fantasma. They don't really need to be doing comedy stuff. Um, I know that's what Brizongo is all about, and I know they're the champions. That's fine. But you just kind of have this weird situation where now Imperium's still involved in this feud. Well, then why did you change the titles if Imperium's not going anywhere? Uh, I'm just kind of confused. And, and you guys all know how I feel about the NXT tag team picture. I think a lot of improvements need to be made there. We also saw Candice LeRae defeat Casey Catanzaro. Enjoy this match immensely. It was smart booking for NXT to put LeRae against someone who had a friend at ringside when her entire storyline right now is having issues with her former good friend, Tegan Knox. Casey definitely showed further improvement in the ring, but Larea obviously needed to win with that brutal stomp in the back. That was a great finish to the match. Unfortunately, the PC talent was too loud and Candice was way too soft, cutting her promo. And I actually had to rewind it twice to hear that she was inviting Knox over, I guess, for dinner or out for dinner, or I'm not really sure. So I, you know, I like the dinner at the Gargano segments. I don't know if she's going to go to their apartment or their house or whatever, or if they're going to go out. But I do like the idea of this storyline continuing long, longer term outside of the ring. We saw Rhea Ripley in a uh, promo backstage uh, challenge Mercedes Martinez to a steel cage match and Mercedes Martinez later in the show accepted it. Good quick promo from Ripley. She looked awesome. Kind of like Mad Max Legion of Doom style. I don't know. She... It's, she's awesome, the fact that she can completely change her look on a dime, like really show to show. She can look totally different and most of the time looks incredible. I like the idea of them jumping right into a steel cage match, but it also does concern me that it might be heavily interfered with, whether it's a Robert Stone and Aaliyah situation, which would be a bad type of interference, but theoretically maybe could distract Rhea Ripley enough where Mercedes Martinez gets the win. Or potentially, I don't want to say worse, but more confusing, Raquel Gonzalez interfering. Because then again, you're in a situation where Rhea Ripley is potentially in two storylines simultaneously, and then she would lose to Mercedes Martinez. And I'm fine in theory with her losing to Mercedes, but even though Mercedes is new to the brand, she's the established veteran. And as we've discussed numerous times, Rhea Ripley is the one who needs to build herself up here coming out of that, uh, you know, the string of losses and unsuccessful title challenges that she's had coming out of the end of 2019, where you were saying, oh my God, she's the biggest star in the company. She's going to be on the main roster by the end of 2020 and absolutely killing it. Now you're kind of like, eh, maybe they're not going to call her up at the, you know, maybe it's going to take longer than we expected for her to be on the main roster. So I guess we will find out about that. And last, uh, but not least, Timothy Thatcher defeated Bronson Reed on the show. These two were doing some good work together in a bit of a Haas fight type of scenario, only for Austin Theory to run in, take out Reed from behind, and give Thatcher the opening to hit the Fujiwara armbar for the win. So twice in the first three matches, all over the first hour of the show, we had interference. This interference made more sense to me than the one in the street fight, because this was actually set up last week backstage where Theory was kind of getting involved and sticking his nose in their business. Whereas the other one just kind of felt like forced and you could have had Swerve and Brizongo win the same way without Imperium getting involved. 
So, you know, I don't know. I thought the first hour um, was probably like a C plus. I think on a normal show mixed together with other better segments, it would have been fine. But because they had that Iron Man match over the entire final hour, they didn't really have any choice but to put this all together in the first hour. So a little bit of a slow start, but I really thought they picked it up with that Iron Man match. Again, a a successful match, a good match, a great finish in my opinion, which may be counter to what a lot of other people believe. But I'm I'm very pleased coming out of this NXT. And now knowing that again, we're going to get an NXT Super Tuesday next week, we have the title match right here, Adam Cole versus Finn Balor. I want to see that. And my assumption is they're giving us Rhea Ripley versus Mercedes Martinez in a steel cage. So now you have a double main event for another odd show on a Tuesday and an opportunity for NXT to deliver once again. Their, their, strong, their shows have been exceedingly strong over the last few weeks. And you know if you're not watching NXT, you probably should start. And if anyone wants a little refresher or a crash course, uh, hit me up on Twitter. I'm happy to give it to you. But that is this week's show, breaking down everything that happened on WWE Raw, the fallout from Payback, as well as NXT Super Tuesday. As far as what's coming up the rest of this week, on Thursday, we will have our AEW All Out Ultimate Preview, breaking down every single match on the card and everything that happened on AEW Dynamite. Then on Saturday night, immediately after All Out is off the air, we will have AEW All Out instant analysis. You guys know how we do. We're going to break down everything that happens on the show and tell you what we think from a grade standpoint, in addition to what we believe is going to happen in the long term for AEW. So I was able to cut one show off the week schedule. Very happy with that. Silver King got a little bit more sleep over the last couple of days, but we're going to be going all out, pun intended, for the rest of the week to make sure we fully cover what happens over the next few days in AEW. And of course, we will be back Tuesday breaking down everything from WWE SmackDown and WWE Raw. Certainly, everyone is very curious to find out what happens with new Universal Champion Roman Reigns, his heel turn, and his alignment with Paul Heyman. We will be here to break that down for you on Tuesday. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to follow the podcast at Getting Overcast. One more time, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. I'm going to get out of here. The Savage Goodbye will return. Your DM slides will return as well. But for now, tonight, I only have three words left for you. Bye for now.